1: Welcome in, friends, to this latest edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago, and with me, as always, of course, is the one and only Jay Zawoski of 670 to Score and the I'm Fat Podcast. Jay, you and I have seemed to talk probably more in the last couple days than we ever have on this show, but there's a good reason for that. We still have Blackhawks hockey even if it's not the happiest thing we've ever witnessed. They lose <laughs> last night to the Edmonton Oilers, dropped to a 1-1 tie in the best-of-five series. Critical game three is tomorrow night in Edmonton, although Chicago will be the home team for that contest. Jay? We talked, obviously, on our Hot mic uh, broadcast last night a lot about this game already, but for those listeners who weren't able to tune in and watch the madness unfold as I cracked open a beer and we (laughs) dissected this thing, what were your big uh, takeaways from that game last night?
3: Well, I think there's a lot to get to, and, and the number one thing is that dude, number 97 for Edmonton, is the best player in the league. He's 23 years old. He's ungodly good at hockey and sometimes you just sort of have to shrug and say yeah you know that guy just made a couple awesome plays and when you're down to nothing four minutes into the game all strategies out the window there were a lot of individual performances we'll focus on and get to but what i take away is connor mcdavid is really really effing good and thank god the blackhawks have whole ice air quotes for the next two games if you want to get in touch with us easy to do madhousepod at gmail.com or on twitter at madhousepod Facebook is C H I, and on Instagram, Madhouse underscore pod. We have a Patreon and a GoFundMe, patreon.com slash MadhousePod. Same thing on the GoFundMe. Uh, and yeah, thanks to everybody who joined us on Hot Mic last night. A little technical error on my end. I started the broadcast before my camera was hooked up, so it didn't record. So we couldn't uh, download the audio, which is what we did last time. That will not happen again. Sorry for the delay on the podcast, but here we are. So... Aside from the McDavid show, uh, a couple things I want to mention. I sort of alluded to it with the home ice uh, line change advantage. Ole Mata, who I feel like I'm one of his few, like, I think he's okay. I think he knows what he's doing. I know he's incredibly slow, um, but at the same time, I think he's a smart, savvy defenseman. Uh, He just cannot be on the ice against McDavid. It is too big of a speed disadvantage, and hopefully uh, with the Hawks having last change coming up here for the next two games, they will be able to dictate those matchups better and control uh, who's on the ice against Connor McDavid more often.
1: Yeah we talked a lot obviously about Olimata going into this series uh, we had we had discussed the fact that the Blackhawks were getting back Calvin DeHaan which obviously made the defense as a whole better but It didn't seem like in Game 1 the Oilers took advantage often enough of being able to go out and attack a guy like an Olimata. Not sure if they, like, saw video and made adjustments or if it just so happened to work out this way. Hard to tell with Dave Tippett, honestly, whether or not you should give him credit for a strategic decision or not. But it was very clear from the word go that Connor McDavid was getting out on the ice against Olimata and was just burning him with regularity, honestly. And, like, you'd see – Mata kind of like do all these different like techniques to try to kind of like neutralize the speed of McDavid and that's obviously something that's really hard to do (laughs) for anybody in the NHL frankly including Mata yeah I just you noticed it a lot last night that they seem to be really attacking him and the hopefully Jeremy Colleton is smart enough in game three that he's going to keep him the hell away from number 97 and in in uh, white.
3: Uh, just to take a, a quick departure real fast, I forgot to mention this up front. Duncan Keith was a guest on the Spit and Chicklets podcast and shed some light on his frustrations uh, about his playing time and some things like that. We're going to share that later in the podcast. I think it's important for you guys to hear But uh, Keith talked about in the same podcast, um, trying to slow down Connor McDavid. Keith says he's the fastest player he's ever defended. There's no one like him. Lateral side to side from start, you know, stop and start speed is off the charts and he said basically what you the only way to stop him is to try to read like how he's going to enter the zone, right? Like what angle he's going to take. And he also pointed out how McDavid has because he can go from 0 to 60 so fast. He has the ability to sense when a guy is flat-footed or when a guy's turning, and turn on the jets and blow past him at that time. Look, when Duncan Keith is struggling with a guy, you know he's fast. You know, you know he's a problem. So, I, I think with McDavid, you know he's going to do damage. You know he's going to rack up his points. No one has been able to figure out how to stop him yet. No one's going to be able to figure out how to stop him until he retires. So you just sort of have to try to limit the damage that Connor McDavid does. And, and to me much like in game 1 the special teams were key they were again last night the hawks got a bunch of power play chances and the power play was anemic they aside from the first power play they had some sustained zone time but it was just passing back it was keith taves kane keith taves kane got it, tried a couple shot attempts that would get blocked and then that was really it for the power play all night the penalty kill was better but they need, when they're up against a team like Edmonton that has the firepower they have, they've got to convert on at least one or two power play goals per game to sort of stay right. in this thing.
1: Well, I mean, and it's it's especially important when you get them consecutively like that and you're down by a goal. Like, you have to take advantage of the fact that Edmonton is clearly reeling. They, can, they are clearly struggling to, you know, Stay out of the penalty box. You have to be able to take advantage of that. And the thing that I noticed last night after that first power play in the second period, which was really good, had almost two entire minutes of sustained zone time. Didn't get a ton of great chances on it, but it wore the hell out of the Oilers and they took a lot of abuse during that sequence. By the way, Jeremy Colleton should have called a timeout after that first power play. I don't know what he was thinking. They should have had that first line right back out there again after the timeout to just keep pounding away at Edmonton. I would have loved to have seen that. But aside from that, I think the big shortfall and the big mistake the Blackhawks made on the power play last night is it just really seemed like Jonathan Taves and Kirby Dock were basically trying to occupy the same area of the ice. In game one, you had seen Jonathan Taves working more along the wall, and it had really kind of spread the Oilers' defense out a little bit. They weren't able to just, like, collapse four guys into the middle and just block every shot. But instead, in game two, you have both – Taves and Doc essentially like competing for the same ice and it allows the Oilers to just let the Blackhawks sling the puck around the outer edges of the zone. I don't know why they made that strategic adjustment after game one, when it had worked so well, having Taves kind of move out and have Doc alongside or in front of the net, but whatever it was, The Oilers just collapsed into that area. Dominic Kubelik couldn't find any openings. There was no creativity, no real flow to the offense, and it just ended up really costing them in a big way because I even said it on Twitter at the time. I said, not to sound like a cliche machine, but it seems like not converting on those three straight power plays is going to be the difference between winning and losing a hockey game. And unfortunately, I was right.
3: Yeah, you were absolutely right, and I think – You know, you saw it it was totally different in game one and game two. And I think, you know, you look back to the days when Artemi Panarin was on the Blackhawks. You have a very similarly skilled player in Dominic Kublik with that shot, with that one-timer ability. That's the guy you should be trying to line up for a shot. That's the guy you should be working your ass off to get the puck to. I love Duncan Keith. I love Jonathan Taves. I love Patrick Kane. But right now, your biggest offensive threat goal-scoring-wise is Dominic Kublik, especially on the power play especially with that shot, and credit to the Edmonton Oilers, Dominic Kubelik was a non-factor last night. He barely registered on the radar at all. Uh, he was not the same player. I mean, obviously, your, your, your playoff debut, you get five points, you're going to make some noise, and you're going to garner some attention, which the Oilers gave him. The other thing, you mentioned Doc. I want Doc Kane and Dabrinkit together for the remainder of the playoffs. I, I think you've got to, I understand what Jeremy Cowen's trying to do. He's trying to spread the talent across three lines. He wants three lines that can score and a fourth line to check. You know what? I'm kind of done with it. You've got to have Taves, Sod, and, uh, and Kublik, and then you've got to have Doc, Debrinkit, and Kane. Then you hope that Strom, Kajula, and Nylander, you shelter them, you give them offensive zone starts, hopefully they can pop one for you, and then you lean heavily on David Kampf as your shutdown center, I think that's the strategy going forward. I think that's going to lead them to the most success because when that line was put together, Dabrinka, Doc, and and Kane, things looked a hell of a lot better, but it was almost too late at that point.
1: Yeah, and it definitely kind of illustrated the struggles that uh, Dylan Strong was having last night for sure. You saw a decrease in his ice time. You saw a lot of ineffective play last night. and it, it kind of stinks because Dylan Strom is one of those guys that should be easily one of your top six forwards, and he should easily be causing damage wherever he is in the lineup. And he just was a non-entity last night. That second line that you alluded to with Kane, Doc, and DeBrinkit is just such a – that's a strong group. I mean, that's that's a group that you really – they carried the offense last night at even strength, and it was nice to see in game one the Saad Taves-Kubalik line do that role. If you have two lines that are like that that are firing at full force, man, that is tough for a team like Edmonton who doesn't exactly have the greatest defense in the world. It's so tough for them to stop, and it's going to be so critical for the Blackhawks to get those guys out into advantageous situations in game three because if you can get them both going at the same time –
3: Yeah, I think also they've got to find a way to get Alex Dabrinkit involved. They've got to get him to be more of a factor offensively. I know he's small. I get it. I know he's not a big dude, but small players still find a way to get it done in the playoffs, and we need to see Alex Dabrinkit contributing. It's a guy who's going to make uh, $6 million next year. It's a guy who has scored 40 goals before, and we did not laugh off the thought that he could maybe score 50 someday. Uh, He hasn't been enough of an entity. I think towards the end of game one, he started to show up a little bit more. But even with Doc and Kane, mm, I was not totally enamored with his play. And part of me wonders if, you know, when you look at the makeup of these lines, as much as I love the Doc Kane to Brinkett line and said they should be together, I wonder if at some point if things continue to be flat uh, for game three, if they would consider swapping Sod and to Brinkett, and having a guy on that second line that can go win some pucks and corners and get him out. And you have that guy with Taves, and then you've got the two snipers with him. I don't know. There's some options, though, but I think finding a way to get to Brinkett going, however it is, that's going to be crucial because that's a guy who's too important to your team now. He's too important to your team in the future to be as invisible as he's been through two games so far.
1: I thought Kirby Doc was doing a pretty good job of winning pucks last night, though. I thought there were several instances in the game. I believe on – I'm trying to remember whose goal it was. I believe it was the Slater-Cuckoo goal that it was Doc who went into the corner and won the puck, and eventually it got up to – uh, cuckoo as he pinched in and he scored that shot. I, I think that we're seeing a lot of maturation from Kirby Dock in a lot of real key areas, whether it's that set up alongside the net or in front of the net on the power play, whether it's winning puck battles or, as you've pointed out accurately multiple times, he's just not getting smoked by hits right now. <laughs> it seems like he's got, like, a little bit better on-ice awareness and he's avoiding taking those big body blows. And I know Kirby Dock's a six foot four kid – And it's not great to see him getting absolutely blasted by hits, but he seems to be avoiding them so far. And I've really – I've liked the maturation. I like the fact that they're using him in all sorts of different situations. They had him out on the penalty kill again last night, and we talked about that after the exhibition game against the Blues that we thought it was really noteworthy that Colleton used him in a penalty-killing role. He clearly has shown them something since they started resuming training camp and then gotten back into the playoff run.
3: Yeah, and you're seeing the physical development of Kirby Doc uh, as much as the hockey development, and they're, they're sort of coinciding, which is great. And I think a lot of us forget because training camp felt like a thousand years ago. We should actually be getting ready for training camp now for next season on the calendar. Um, Kirby Doc did not have a training camp, he was concussed. He got hurt in the Travis City tournament and basically just started the season when the Hawks started playing, so he didn't get that development time in there. He took full advantage of this break to get in shape, to get faster, to get stronger, and it's absolutely showing. I love what I've seen from Kirby Doc. I think he's been one of the better Blackhawks over the course of this playoff series. When he's on the ice, I don't have any sort of uh, nerves about it whatsoever. I I think that he's been wonderful. Uh, And I know James sort of shifting a little bit from Doc to another young player, Adam Boquist. We talked about him a lot on the Hot Mike broadcast last night. Tough game for him. I know, you know, 19-year-old defenseman's going to have those moments. There was at one point where you questioned uh, potentially sitting him out for game three. After sleeping on it, how are you feeling about that opinion at this point?
1: I'm still feeling like it's probably one of the worst games I have seen Adam Boquist play. I, I think, to me, it would have been different if he had simply been getting beat by guys. Like, if he had gotten beaten like Olimata got, you know, beat off the rush by Connor McDavid on that second goal, that would have been one thing. But it was just the fact that like, he didn't seem like he had any idea what he was doing. It was a very, I hate to say this, it was a very Alex Nylander-esque type oh, of thing. <laughs> Especially on Connor McDavid's first goal where Duncan Keith crossed over the ice to try to get the puck along the wall. As a defenseman, you have to know what that means. You instantly have to go to the other side of the ice. You have to switch with your partner. And not only did Adam Boquist not do that, he also really wasn't defending the play either. In fact, I don't really know what on earth he was doing. He might have been caught puck watching, maybe. But then when the puck moved over, he kind of was like, oh, wait, what? It was like he hadn't like quite locked in for the game. And by the way, call me crazy here leaving Connor McDavid uncovered on the other side of the ice is probably not a good strategy. No, if you and it's yeah. just there was there were moments <laughs> like that and then there was other moments during the game where it just seemed like he wasn't taking like correct angles. He just looked very overmatched. He looked a little bit like deer in the headlights, which you would expect for a 19-year-old playing in his second, you know, playoff game. But it just it seemed like game 1 he wasn't bad. Like I didn't think he had like the greatest game ever, but he certainly acquitted himself fairly well I thought but game two was just an abject disaster and you you told you talked about it last night like this is going to happen with young players and if the Blackhawks are gonna have any chance of beating the Oilers they do need speedy guys to play well you you do I think have to be patient with Boquist and have him back out there in game three the one thing I will say will I will reiterate after sleeping on it and thinking about it if he starts to struggle again in game three I am not opposed to putting him with Calvin DeHaan and bumping up Connor Murphy to play with Duncan Keith and have them serve as a shutdown pairing when you have the opportunity to dictate the matchups. I still think that that would be a prudent strategy decision for Jeremy Colleton to consider.
3: Well, also what that does is it adds an element of speed to a second pair because basically you're fast defenseman or Keith and Boquist. Then you've got a bunch of average to below average with Murphy, DeHaan and Cuckoo is probably, I would say, maybe third fastest of those guys. And obviously Mata, uh, that's not a lot of speed. That's not a speedy defensive core. And having Keith and Boquist together is obviously beneficial because it allows Boquist to go and play the offensive game that he's so great at with that security blanket of Duncan Keith behind him where if he, if a turnover happens or the puck gets away from him, Keith can go and recover that mistake for him. That's the advantage to that. However, now you're stuck with two other pairs that lack speed and you've got the best player on the planet and the fastest player on the planet on the ice against you. So it's kind of, you know, you look at it both ways. Like, ah, I see you. You want to maximize what Boquist is giving you, but at the same time, you also want to give yourself the best chance to have the best coverage as often as you can. So it's not an easy decision. I think starting game three, I'm sticking with the pairs as they were, but definitely keeping an eye on things if you know if you're seeing Bowles struggle some more uh, maybe minimize that ice time a little bit maybe cherry pick a spots a little more than you would with Duncan Keith as his partner speaking of partners I want to tell you about our partners at Triple Threat Sports they're pounding out the masks and they're pounding out the t-shirts and jerseys and anything you need printed give them a call 708-478-6090 check out triplethreatsports.com or send chris an email chris at TripleThreatSports.com. Triple Threat Sports, if you can wear it, they can make it. And, of course, our other longtime sponsor, Marishka's and Crest Hill, 604 Theater Street. They're family-owned and operated since 1933. The poor boys, the steaks, the chops, the seafood, the uh, giant mountain of onion rings, the craft beer menu. Everything at Marishka's is terrific. Take your family, take your friends. You'll be back again and again to Marishka's and Crest Hill. Go to Marishka's.com or check out Facebook .com/marishkas that's m e r i c h k a s cannot wait to see joe and the family again out there in crest hill. All right James, we've gotten through about 18 minutes of the podcast. You said his name once. Uh I'm going to wipe the egg off my face because I did think he had a nice game one. Game 2 for Alex Nylander was a complete disaster. Just a complete <laughs> disaster. Uh this kid is finding new and exciting ways to turn the puck over in any, any zone you can imagine. And you're starting to see, we saw in the St. Louis game, Patrick Kane angry about the offsides play. You're seeing the deterioration of that relationship in real time because Patrick Kane is clearly aggravated with passes being just off the money, with turnovers happening, with offensive momentum stopping because of a bad uh, zone entry by Nylander or an extra move by Nylander. Uh, I mean, look, Patrick Kane's got a lot of power on this team. Uh, who knows if he went to Jeremy count and said, put me on a different line. I'm not playing with this dude anymore because every turn last night he was making mistakes. And it's like, every time I feel like Neilander takes a tiny step forward, there's three or four giant leaps backwards. And that's where we are right now.
1: Well, I mean, it's the thing that we've been criticizing him for ever since he came to Chicago, right? It's always been the same knock on him over and over again, which is that his hockey IQ just isn't where it needs to be in order to be an effective player at the NHL level and to take advantage of the skill that he does have. Like, we're not not stupid. We can see it. Like, this guy has got some really good physical gifts. He's a really solid hockey player. Only when he's able to actually, like, harness that and to actually use the intellect to actually, like, make the most of it. And, frankly, last night, like you said, was a big step back from him. I thought he had a decent game in Game 1. I wasn't, like, shouting from the rooftops. I saw a few people here and there kind of, like, giving him a lot of praise. And I was like, just remember who we're talking about here. Like, that's the thing that you definitely have to remember. And then last night was a great reminder again of – just how important hockey IQ is in, in situations like this. You want guys to actually like have an idea of what they're going to do with the puck before you get it, and it just always seems to me that Nylander is a beat slow on that. He doesn't see plays developing that offsides he had against St. Louis was a great example of that where it was pretty clear how Patrick Kane was going to enter the zone, and Nylander just barged ahead like a bull in a china shop. Right. Yeah. Yep. Like it's just, it, that's like a great microcosm of just the problem with Nylander, which is he just doesn't think he tries to like let instinct just kind of take over. And that's a bad idea when your hockey instincts are bad. <laughs>
3: Yes, that might be my favorite point you've ever made. When your when your instincts are bad, stop trusting them. It's like George Costanza. Just do the opposite of your instinct, and everything will work out for you.
1: He should just have a card like on his like belt or something, and he just looks at it. Whatever you're thinking about doing, do the other thing.
3: Don't do that. Um, the other guy we haven't mentioned is Corey Crawford, and I think uh, you know as we were sort of preparing for this series and as he was returning the play from COVID, we sort of asked ourselves how comfortable are we with he as the starter and I said and I still sort of stand by this that Corey Crawford at sixty percent I trust more than Suban or Delia. Uh, and you agreed and I I, I know last night we, we sort of agreed too that you just sort of live or die with Crawford. I'm still there. I know that it was not a great performance from him. We saw some of those um those Corey famous Corey Crawford lapses of focus. That we've seen throughout his career, and I think, you know, we talk about the things that have sort of dogged him in the eyes of Hawks fans for a while. There's been a handful of those moments in his career where you're like, dude, what are you doing? Like, how are you? Where are you at? Like, where's your head at right now? That will happen with Corey Crawford now and again, and it happened last night against Edmonton. But still, I, I I'm ride or die, as the kids say, with Corey Crawford. I'm not, I'm not panicking. I'm not going to Subban or Delia now. If things get really out of hand in game three and it's four nothing at the end of the first period, you might have to make a change, but I'm not making any sort of permanent goaltending change throughout this series. If Corey Crawford can't win it, so be it. You have a 12 and a half percent chance at the number one overall pick.
1: Well, I'm certainly not going to like, you know, Expect a Scott Darling esque performance out of either Subban or Colin Delia. And by the way, I think it's pretty obvious it would be Subban at this point. I don't think that the Blackhawks are going to go down the Delia route unless they absolutely have to. I I think though that you're right about Corey Crawford. Like he right now at his skill present skill level, I think he is your best option in net. But man. That rust that we saw in game one was still very much there in game two. I know that obviously some of those goals, just there was no way on earth he was going to be able to stop. The one that bounced off of Ryan Carpenter and Duncan Keith is definitely one that certainly qualifies. And there were a couple of other fluky bounces in there as well. But I just I don't think his lateral movement has been where it was before the shutdown started and how could it be like he barely had any time to really train and to get back into the swing of things after being diagnosed with COVID and you're still kind of recovering from that. And like, just like you said, like the lapses of judgment, like the whiffed clearing attempt last night, like I know Edzo tried to give him credit and say, Oh, it's probably rolling on bad ice the third game of the day in Edmonton. And then they show the replay and the pucks just gliding along smoothly. Just completely not on edge, nothing funky about it. And Edzo just goes, Well, I guess he just kind of missed on that then. <laughs> yeah. And I think he kinda like he kind of echoed the sentiments of a lot of Blackhawks fans. We were all like, Oh, there's no way. Like, Crawford's not like Mike Smith with the puck. Like, it's not like waiting for the hand grenade to go off. Like, but you watched it and you're like, Oh, that was very Mike Smithy. Yeah, like, I, don't, I don't really know what to say to that. It was a very <laughs> stunning moment, and then the Oilers scored 45 seconds later, and our thoughts went from, whoa, what the heck was that, Corey, to, well, this game's over. Let's uh, get the beers out and let's get cracking on hockey." Mike. So I definitely think that Crawford, obviously not his best game last night. I don't think he was obviously the reason that they lost or anything crazy like that, but as you and the kids say, Jay, they have to be ride or die with Crawford at this point. I just think he gives you a better chance to win than Sue or Delia does. Yeah,
3: I did enjoy his clearing on the penalty kill, though, where he just came out of the crease, took the puck, and shot it down the other end of the ice. That was entertaining.
1: That was uh, a message. That was like, you idiots can't do this. I'll do I can. It. I'll
3: freaking do it. Let me have a breakaway shot, please, with my goalie stick. By the way, you mentioned Eddie O. Um, we didn't mention this on Hot Mike last night. By the way, if you want to join us, we'll be on Hot Mike again. Uh, Wednesday night after the game doing a post game show and it will record this time damn it um download the download 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 the hot mic app
4: download
3: <laughs> it's free the hot mic app is free when you sign up it's going to ask you for a code enter that code madhouse and you can watch us do the podcast in real time after the game interact with us and and all that fun stuff but Eddie Owen Pat Foley stop talking about how you're not in charge of the replay we understand it's a global effing pandemic. Everyone's making do. We get it. You don't have to bust toss the production crew every time they don't play the exact replay you want to play. That was bugging me. Like maybe it's because I'm a radio producer and I hate when talent like complains about things that, you know, that they can't control. Like, Oh, that's that tape sounded bad or whatever. Look, everyone's doing their best. Okay. Give people some grace here. Uh, that was that was bothering me. It's one thing to mention it up front, like, "Hey, just so you know, we might not be able to show you the replays we want to show you." But to have the eye rollish sort of antics as the game was going on, that was sort of bugging me and not sitting well with me.
1: I have two uh, co- I have two comments to make about the overall coverage of these playoffs, which I know has been obviously complicated by who's in and who's out of the bubble and everything. So I'm not gonna like comment directly on like camera angles or replays or anything like that. But what I will comment on is that Eddie Olchek was lit up like a super villain last night. And that needs to not be a thing again, (laughs) because I was waiting for him to tell me his uh, world domination plan instead of listening to him talk about the Blackhawks breakout or whatever he was talking about. And the second thing I want to talk about is how Patrick Sharp is going to end up being a national analyst full time at some point in the near future. And if he's going to do that, he needs to get someone to teach him how to tie a frickin tie his tie knot is driving me insane.
3: Imagine not looking at Patrick Sharp's face the entire time.
1: Mm, it's true. But you know what? <laughs> that, that just shows you how bad the tie knot is, though. It must
3: be really bad. I cannot it... talk. I cannot tie a tie for shit. I am awful at it. I will attempt like three or four times. I'm like, okay, that's acceptable. I can hide this error under my collar. So I'll go with that. I can't tie a tie for crap. Oh, Anything I absolutely
1: yeah. I absolutely go on YouTube and I'm like, okay, oh, I do too. how to help. tie this? Like and I do it every single time like I want to make sure that cuz if I try to do it by myself, it's comically bad. Like I used to have to wear a tie to work every day i don't anymore thankfully because i wasn't very good at tying ties <laughs> yeah, i quit i can't do this i quit
3: james yeah, that's, ref- ex- that's the exact reason <laughs> i
1: quit that job we're paying
3: like, you five hundred thousand dollars a year i'm sorry i can't tie a tie, I'm quitting i'm done
1: <laughs> well, clearly the best <laughs> life choice i ever made
3: yeah good good call by you i will say though in praise of pat foley I think he did a really good job keeping up with the action, keeping up with where players were on the ice from a remote location. That's a huge challenge, and mm-hmm. I think that shows you, like, Pat's style lends itself more to that because he's more of, like, the slow build as opposed to Doc Emmerich, who's telling you literally everything that's happening. John Wideman is the same way. But oh, Patrick
1: struggled big time during it's that tough. game on Saturday. I know, I, yeah, and that's why I wasn't critical of it. I was like, dude, I cannot imagine how difficult that is to do what he's doing. But you could tell he was. It was it's going to take him a little while to get used to
3: it. Yeah, but Foley was doing great. I think he. It just fits his style very, very well. All right, let's take a timeout. We're going to come back. I'm going to share two pieces of audio with you guys. Uh, we, are I'm done talking about this game. It's time to move on to game three. Uh, Duncan Keith was a guest on the Spit and Chicklets podcast. He had some thoughts on uh, when things, he says that he had some motivational issues as he realized that the Hawks were not the team they used to be, and it sort of alludes to some issues with Jeremy Colleton. That's worth hearing. And then, if you missed it, before the Dallas-Vegas game on Tuesday, Robin Leonard, and Ryan Reeves of the Golden Knights uh, were two of the players to take a knee, along with Tyler Sagan and Jason Dickinson of the Dallas Stars. Reeves and Leonard met the media after the game, and I think you'll be interested to hear what both those guys had to say. This is the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Jay Zawoski here in Homewood, James Navo out there, and A and in my basement studio, I'm very close to my shower, which is nice because I can still smell the phantom smells of Dr. Squatch soap from my shower. I like to crack the door open so I can get the scents, and here are the pine tar, the cool fresh aloe, the cool cold brew cleanse. Those are my three favorites of Dr. Squatch's natural made-in-the-USA soaps, but the hair care kits in there, and guess what, James? Dr. Squatch just launched this week their own line of toothpaste, morning and night toothpastes. This is something that's done in Europe where people have different formulas for night and day. I just ordered mine yesterday. I can't wait to get it. uh, And I'll be giving a full update. Another thing. I talked to the people at Dr. Squatch yesterday. I said, listen, Madhouse podcast listeners have been so supportive of Dr. Squatch. I want to give them a better discount. It's been 10% up to this point, which is great. Can we up at the 20? Dr. Squatch said, absolutely. So go to drsquatch.com enter that promo code madhouse at checkout. You'll save 20% on your order. And more importantly for me and James, you're going to help the podcast out. So drsquatch.com, really helpful if it's your first time. In the top right corner there, there's a Squatch quiz. That'll help you find everything you need. And pro tip, because you're making an investment in yourself, in your skin, and your skin health and your hair health you're going to want to buy that soap saver to protect your investment the soap's a little more expensive than what you're going to find you know in the general care aisle at your grocery store this is premium stuff protect it with that soap saver it's a one-time investment to protect your purchases drsquatch.com promo, pr- promo code madhouse i promise you you will not regret buying this soap everyone who's bought it so far has loved it and has told us so all right mentioned before the break Duncan Keith was a guest on the Spit and Chicklets podcast, episode 282. It was released on Tuesday. Nice long, probably half hour conversation with Duncan Keith. G- cool to hear him sort of let loose a little bit. He's not typically that way, he's kind of a, a reserved guy, but he really lets loose when he's with the Spit and Chicklets guys. But this piece of audio stood out to me. He talks about the frustration of coping with going from perennial contender to young semi rebuilding team and then gets into his relationship with Jeremy Cowton a little bit.
4: I guess a little frustration set in. I think it might have been Q's last, his last full year. You know, we were pretty, pretty bad team there. We were, we had a, we had an accountant in net for fuck's sakes, one of the games, you know, and he got pulled out of his, his job of doing that. And uh, it was just a, a bad year. And so uh, it's, it's that time where the, where the organization, where we were so good for so long. And then it's all of a sudden, like, Holy shit like you know we're 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 not a, we're not the team we used to be, you know, and so I think i let that affect my game for a few years, but I feel like i got i turned it around mentally and and just kind of accepted the fact that we're we're a younger team now and i've under and I've enjoyed that role, but I still feel that I can still be at my best i feel feel like I'm in great shape, I feel like i'm training harder than i've ever trained i enjoy the training so that's not an issue but i still feel good on the ice it's just you know it's it's uh it's frustrating you know when i guess you get you had different opportunities with different coaches and and you know every coach is going to have their guy or people that they believe in and uh and that's just the the way it is you know and so finally i think once that trade deadline came and we ended up trading eric Gustafson, i got i got more ice time and so i i felt like i could sh- I show what i could have been doing all along and gus is a good player and he's good offensively and the coach wanted him to use him there and, and on the power play and that's and i think that you know those things uh uh, those things are they're like that with every uh, every player goes through certain things like that and and, and the team too and so you got to respect that and you still have to do your best for whatever role you're in but i just know that when you're if i am in a role where i'm relied upon as as the guy then i then i play better and i did that the last month of the regular season and i got a carried into to the playoffs here
3: all right that was duncan keith Courtesy of the Spit and Chicklets podcast. Again, check that out. Really great interview with Duncan Keith. Uh, you know, just the way he talks about, he never says Cowton's name, but he's like some coaches, other coaches. And this is the second time he's been on that podcast where he's had issue with Jeremy Cowton, and it doesn't seem like that relationship is getting much better. Um, hopefully it's, you know, survivable. Hopefully they're getting along enough to make it work. But every time I hear Duncan Keith speak with any sort of candor, there's some sort of side shot thrown Jeremy Cowton's way.
1: Yeah, it definitely seems like Duncan Keith is still not over the fact that they got rid of Joel Quenville and they brought in Jeremy Colleton. It's pretty clear that – and I think we've heard that from quite a few players. It seems like they don't necessarily like the way that Colleton handles the interpersonal stuff that comes with being a head coach in the NHL. And then obviously there's probably like strategic differences of opinion as well. But I think those – I think those are probably more survivable than – differences of opinion in how you interact with other like with players I think that Keith probably does not like the way that Colleton has treated Brent Seabrook would be at least part of the issue with him is my guess and then some of the criticisms that he did level about just like usage and favoritism and all that stuff like I can obviously see where he's coming from I mean you saw like the results of the last couple of years kind of speak for themselves in terms of how the team has kind of reacted to what Colleton has done. And it's just, again, very interesting to hear Duncan Keith, this guy that we're not necessarily used to being like extremely opinionated, like show that candor in these rare moments and to be kind of that blatant about what he thinks about the direction of this team.
3: Yeah, you know, I think we all have a tendency to agree with the players who have brought us so much joy and Duncan Keith, and Brent Seabrook, and the veterans. That's that's an obvious thing for a fan to feel, and I don't think it's wrong. However, I think that part of what they're upset with Calton about is something that we wanted him to not do. I think that a lot of these veteran guys are upset that he's not deferring to them, that he's not giving them exactly what they want all the time because of what they accomplished. He has to play the players that deserve to play. And yes, Duncan Keith is still and has been the Blackhawks' best defenseman. I think when it's all said and done, he will be the best Blackhawks defenseman in team history. I think that's probably already uh written in stone as it is right now, unless you count Bobby Orr. Um <laughs> mm. but uh, you know, I I think these veteran guys, they feel a certain amount of um privilege. Like, look, I'm 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 Brent Seabrook. I won 3 cups here. I've been playing here since da da da. I deserve XYZ. Well, you know, it's a win-now business, and Jeremy Cowlton has to win now or he's out of a job, and Stan Bowman's out of a job. So I try to see it from both sides. Look, if you're asking me whose hockey opinion I trust more, Jeremy Cowlton and Duncan Keith, the answer is Duncan Keith, 100 out of 100 times. There's no doubt about it. However, a coach has a job to do, and if that coach is observing that an older, more accomplished player is not playing as well as – slater cuckoo who's been pretty good through the first two games as we discussed on hot Mike last night then he's got to sit and that's the tough decision calton has to make and for the most part he's done a pretty solid job at having the nerve to make those unpopular decisions for the betterment of the team
1: yeah he's good at making those decisions but he sure as hell can't pick who his 12 forward is gonna be yes. like if you're gonna have john quenville play three minutes in two periods what the hell was even the point of playing and jeremy god
3: yeah, I, well, that's sort of, we talked about that a lot on Hot Mike last night, and I think sleeping on that, I think ch- plans probably changed when they were down to nothing four minutes into the game. I think if it was sort of a normal paced kind of back and forth sort of a thing that Quenville might have seen more time. but I'm with you. That was a bad decision. That was the least inspiring thing you could do. Put Dylan Secure out there, put Philip Kurashev out there, put somebody out there that's going to provide something. John Quenville is a body, and the best you can hope for is for him to not get you hurt. You know, is for to not make a crucial mistake, and maybe he's less accident prone than Sekura or Kurochev, but he's also less success prone than Sakura or Kurochev. And uh, when I'm when I'm worried about speed matchups, I'm putting any speedy option I have out there, and both those guys, Sakura and Kurochev, qualify
1: yeah and they also if the you know inevitable it seems like happens and connor mcdavid does connor mcdavidy things again he gives you a better chance to come back like i think that that has to be part of the calculus to this thing because I already think they have plenty of guys that can potentially play that like gritty or whatever role that they envisioned Quenville playing like I think that there are guys who are talented enough on defense to like make up for the loss of a Kajula you might as well put out a guy like Dylan Secure I mean hell you're already icing Alex Nylander for God's sake
3: (laughs) I'm so glad Drake Kajula's back for game three. And, and I, look, I.
1: I, I was going to say last night, like, if he's the make or break in this series, and oh, the Blackhawks are in big effing trouble. But there's a big but jump. at the same time, you can tell there is a significant difference in a guy that can literally go from, like, second or the third line, and it really doesn't have that much of a drop off. He can play multiple roles for this team, and that's something that's always kind of fascinated me about him and kind of, like, intrigued me in terms of potentially keeping him and re signing him.
3: You know, I've been thinking about, too, since we got off the air last night, how nice it would be to have Andrew Shaw.
1: (sighs) It sure would. Playoff
3: Andrew Shaw is a different dude, man, and he is exactly what they need right now.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate, and I'm glad that, obviously, he at least seems to be feeling better, and he's optimistic that he's going to be able to you know, jump back into the mix next season. Like, I'm glad to see that, and I hope he is continuing to heal up because he's been through, obviously, a lot in terms of head injuries. So – we miss you, Shazer. We miss you, man.
3: <sighs> yeah, it'd be nice to have him right now. And Marion Hosa, Can we make that happen, too? That'd be fine, too.
1: Just clone Marion Hosa <laughs> and have 12 of them. We'll be good.
3: Draft all his children now. Uh, all right, one more piece of audio to share for you, then we're going to wrap things up. But first, I want to tell you about our friends at Fry the Coop, frythecoop.com. They're open for carryout and delivery, Oakland, Elmhurst, Westtown, Well Street Market. Place that order online and have the best damn hot chicken you will ever have in Chicago, in Nashville, anywhere on the planet. I've had all the hot chicken places, all the ones that are famous in Nashville. Fry the Coop is better than all of them. But if spicy not your thing, you got kind of a soft little palate, your tongue is very sensitive. I understand. I'm not going to shame you about it. They've got the country style, which is the best fried chicken sandwich or tender you're ever going to have without the heat. Lots of options for everybody at Fry the Coop and FryTheCoop.com. I'm going to recommend today the donut. Hot chicken sandwich. Yeah, you heard me. Instead of buns, it's a damn glazed donut. Go to Fry the Coop, frythecoop.com. Place your order. Once you try Fry the Coop once, you'll be back again and again. Oaklawn, Elmhurst, Westtown, Wall Street Market, and coming soon to an area near you, Tinley Park. looking your way. All right, one more piece of audio. Uh, last night, after the Dallas Stars and Vegas Golden Knights game, Ryan Reeves and Robin Leonard of the... Golden Knights obviously Robin Leonard former Blackhawk goalie be nice to have him right now uh, met the media and discussed their decision to take a knee uh, during the national anthem here's what Ryan Reeves and Robin Leonard had to say the first voice you'll hear is that of Ryan
2: Reeves I definitely want to start by saying in no way do I am I trying to disrespect the flag or or people who fought for this country Uh, I have the utmost respect uh, for everybody that's gone over and fought and died uh, you know, for the freedom of this country. Uh, Bill Foley, our owner, is one of the best guys I've ever met. Uh, he's a military guy. Um, so th- that's, that's not the message I'm trying to send. But at the same time, you know, those people go across across seas and they go to war and, uh, you know, families are torn apart in these wars, uh, you know, for the freedom of this country, only to come back and find out this country isn't free for everybody. And I think that's, that's where I'm coming from. Um, you know, nobody's truly... Not everybody is truly free in this country, and I think um, it, it's starting to come to light a lot more right now, uh, especially with social media. It's uh, it's kind of blown up over the last year, so um, that's kind of where I'm coming from.
3: Hi, I'll just ask for Rob and your your perspective on on this as well, um, especially as somebody who has delved into politics previously and in, in your career a little bit.
0: Yeah, uh, well, I wouldn't say. I mean, I did uh, mistake once uh, put the. Uh, Trump sticker on my mask, something I regret now, uh, after seeing how divisive things have been. Um, But, uh, you know, in the end of the day, this is not politics. This is uh, human rights. It's not about politics. Uh, You know, it's uh, you know, I've been, uh, you know, part of conversation, everyone's talking about conversation and, you know, education and listening, but it's, you know, it's time to start doing something. Uh, not just uh, let this be a, a news cycle and uh, forget about it and do it all over again. Um, everyone should have the same chance in society. Everyone should be treated the same. And uh, <clears throat> I've seen a lot growing up. I've seen uh, you know, my, my families of color. And uh, uh, what I've seen and how, how things are it disgusts me. And in the end of the day, I think uh, I love uh, I love you uh, I love America but uh, you know there's uh, there's uh, a bunch of things that needs to be corrected you know and uh, I think they have the the power to do so it's just about willingness to do uh, to do something about it and it's uh, it's time for I think it's time for whites to step in a battle with the, with our brothers and sisters and and uh, make some change and uh, stop just talking about it and actually do something
3: Very powerful words uh, from two impressive dudes. You know, Ryan Reeves is a guy who I think all Hawks fans hate because he's a shit disturber. He's a tough player. He's a dirty player. Uh, But smart dude. Ryan Reeves is a smart and respected guy. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a shame that he has to say, look, I'm not saying anything against the military. But he did it to protect himself, to be clear what he was trying to say. And I think the point he made about, look, these soldiers that we are all respecting the black and brown soldiers are coming home and the country's not as free for them as it is for their white brothers and sisters. Okay. And that needs to change. That's what Ryan Reeves is saying. And then that's, this is the first time I've heard Robin Leonard say out loud that having the Trump sticker on his helmet was a mistake. He had alluded to it before. I heard him talk about it before. This is the first time he said, I made a mistake and wore that sticker. Um, that's the first time I've heard him say that. And then he said, this is not political. This is a human rights issue. Uh, kudos to both those guys for, first of all, being the first among the players to kneel for the anthem, aside from uh, Dumba. And then for being on point and on message game. I think they, they could not have handled that, that situation better.
1: Yeah, I would agree, and I, I know that obviously there's been a lot made of kind of the evolution that Robin Leonard has made in his viewpoints on a lot of these issues, and I did appreciate the uh, contrast that he drew where this isn't a political statement, it's a human rights statement. Like I thought that that summed it up absolutely perfectly. Like I wish that more guys in the league felt that way, and kudos obviously to Robin Leonard for. St- so had to give kudos to Tyler Sagan as well. He's been very active in the Black Lives Matter movement ever since uh, George Floyd's death at the hands of police. He attended several uh, Black Lives Matter rallies, if I re- recall correctly. Yes, you did. During uh, quarantine, he's been obviously very active uh, in the movement to kind of, you know, bring make this a more socially just world. And this is just another example of him using his platform as one of the NHL's probably I, I get I would say like he's probably one of the NHL's more visible players like a lot of hockey fans know who Tyler Sagan is and I'm glad that he's using his platform in that way to call for you know uh, social change and I gotta I gotta give all of those guys respect I I know that a lot of hockey players tend to be viewed as these buttoned down robotic dudes who try not to rock the boat too much and I thought that those guys handled the situation beautifully and I'm glad also that at least some of the labor of all of this was kind of taken away from the guys like Matt Dumba and Robin Leonard because frankly that burden has to be shared by all of us if we're going to enact real change in this country
3: yeah and I think another thing with Leonard is you know people evolve and people change and it's okay to do that like if you have an opinion one way or another you don't have to dig in your heels People are, are willing to forgive you and say, you know what? Cool. You you had a thought. You turned out it was, look, I've been there. I'm a different guy now than I was a month ago, two months ago, three months ago. You know, it's just this. these sort of things change people uh, and hopefully for the better. And, and that's what Robin Leonard's saying is like, look, uh, I had some things in the past that I didn't understand and I have educated myself and I, I've come to see the light here. And uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, that continues not just for him, but for everybody Anyway, that's going to do it for this edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for your patience after the uh, snafu last night after Hot Mike. I know a lot of you were expecting the podcast to be posted first thing in the morning. I was as well, but that that problem has been rectified and it won't happen again. So join us Wednesday night after the game on Hot Mike. Again, download that Hot Mike app. When you sign up, use that promo code Madhouse. The app is free. Join us, interact with James and I, watch us do the podcast live as soon as the final horn sounds of Game 3, Blackhawks-Oilers. We'll talk to you on Wednesday night. Thanks for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast.
2: The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marischka's and Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch, and by Fry the Coop.
0: Bose is the registered trademark of the Bose Corporation. Color combinations include interior and exterior colors. Customization is an available feature subject to availability at participating Nissan dealers. See dealer for details.
4: For all you foodies out there, I'm unwrapping a McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel. Ooh, look at this steak. And the juice running down the side. Got a little bit on the wrapper here. Mm. And then the fluffy egg and real cheese folded over the side looking just so good. Mm-mm. Grilled onions and a butter bagel too. Thumbs up for McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel for breakfast. Love it. Mm. Ba, 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 ba. I participate in McDonald's.
1: You know, if you haven't checked out What Chaos yet, you oughta because we've had all your favorite players on the show. I'm talking Seth Jones, Lena Solmark, Connor Bedard, whoever it may be. We're live every day on YouTube at noon Eastern, but also available on all podcast platforms, including the one you're listening to right now. We got guests, and yeah, we're also doing a bit of chit-chat, goofing around, laughing at what makes us laugh in hockey. So regardless of how deep you are into your hockey fandom, come listen to What Chaos. We'll talk about your favorite team. We'll talk about your least favorite team and everybody in between. And we're having a ton of fun doing it every single day, Monday through Thursday. It's What Chaos, presented by All City Network.